0: Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. All right, so we are going to jump into the Word of God for today. If you're new here, my name is Alex, and I'm one of the pastors. And so I want to say Merry Christmas to you, and thank you for taking a few minutes to join the Redemption family here in our sacred space online. And Redemption family, I love you. I miss you. I so wish we could be together. You know, on Sunday morning, gathering together. I miss being on my perch, hearing the stories, catching up on as you are on your way into worship singing together, the sacraments, seeing our kids running around the church. And I I just, I miss it. I know you do too. And I eagerly await the day that we can all gather again. Uh, In the meantime, I'm also really, really grateful for the technology that we have, for the team that we have that puts in a lot of hard hours in order to create this experience for us. And so, yeah. I love you and I miss you. So let's jump in to uh, continuing our series called Whistling in the Dark. And Whistling in the Dark is a title from one of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner. One of his books is called Whistling in the Dark. I was rereading it this year and thought... That title is exactly what it feels like to be a believer, a follower of Jesus in 2020, especially here in the Advent season. We're the people who whistle in the dark and the songs we're whistling about are peace and hope and joy and love. And as we do, we're hanging each of those songs on the hook of Isaiah chapter nine, verse two. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah writes. The people who walked in darkness, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. It's felt dark this year, (laughs) to say the least. Commenting on the darkness of 2020 is basically like commenting on the air, the atmosphere. It's, It's all around us. We know it has been dark. It's been so challenging. And then to introduce peace, like last week, talking about hope, feels almost obnoxious. Like, really? We're going to talk about peace? This year has been a year. We've missed out on a lot of traditional peace. There's been racial injustice, economic fallout. We've had personal relationship problems in our own lives, like, you know, and even down to physical health issues for many people, and pandemic and on and on, kids on Zoom for school, as we just kind of keep listing it, it's like, yeah, it's not been a lot of peace. It's been quite challenging. In fact, I think this is either the ninth or 10th time I tried to preach this sermon. I'm not kidding. I tried on Wednesday. I tried on Thursday. And now here I am in the studio on Friday morning trying again. Sometimes we'd have a technology thing, but most of the time it's, I would get, somewhere in the sermon and it was just so cloudy and so uh, it's just icing on the case but when we think about peace how do we get it what is it how do we keep it when i think about peace and when you think about peace we think about peace traditionally we tend to think in terms of well i'll have peace if the military does its job absence of war that's peace um If my ideal candidate gets into office, then I'll have peace. If things go my way all day today, (laughs) then I'll have peace. From the time I wake up and get my cup of coffee, to my 9 a.m. meeting, to my noon appointment, to my whatever. And if everything goes according to my plan today, at the end of the day, I'll say, yeah, that's a peaceful day. But we all know that Though certainly that's, those are forms of peace, lowercase p, we also know that those lowercase p experiences of peace are always in jeopardy. They're always under a threat. We know that we can lose them. They can crumble at any given moment. I might not get my cup of coffee the way I want it. My candidate may not get into office. What if the military fails? There's a kind of a, of a peace, though, that the Bible consistently talks about called shalom throughout the Old Testament, meaning wholeness and wellness, restoration, the way things are totally supposed to be in every sense of that word. Throughout the Old Testament, when the Bible uses that word shalom it's talking about reconciliation and relationship between people and God with each other, and that all of creation is made well in every sense of that. Word. And so when we think about peace, God's peace, I wanna remind you today, church, that we cannot have the peace of God apart from God himself. I hope that makes sense. That is, God is not interested in merely giving us an experience of his peace without giving us himself. That when God comes into our lives, yes, we experience innumerable benefits, but not divorced from his lordship. That is, he comes and he brings peace and he brings hope and he brings joy and he brings love, but he's also bringing his very self because these are attributes of God. And God is interested in not just giving you his attributes to experience, he's interested in giving you his presence, his person, the Lord Jesus through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, how does God ultimately bring peace into the world? Well, it's what we celebrate every year in Advent when we're thinking about the birth of Jesus Christ. (laughs) That when Jesus was born, Isaiah calls him the Prince of Peace. As he's born, the the angels appear. Do you remember in Luke chapter 2? The angels appear to the shepherds at night, and it says they fill the sky and they begin chanting glory to God in the highest. Goodwill toward men, peace on the earth among those with whom he's well pleased. Peace, this announcement that the peacemaker is here. And as Jesus was born, I mean, we've got to remember that God had to send his son into the world to bring peace because of the destructive effects of sin. When sin broke into the world, that's what brought unrest, anxiety, fear, shame, guilt, uncertainty, nervousness, all the rest. (laughs) Those are the results of sin breaking into the world. And so when God sent Jesus into the world, he did not send an angel. He did not send another prophet. He did not write another revelation. He did not give another law for us to attempt to obtain peace. Oh, he sent Jesus. And Jesus is not plan B God. And Jesus is not second rate God. And Jesus is not less than God. But Jesus is God. As the creeds tell us in the Nicene Creed, that Jesus is true God of true God, true light of true light. That Jesus is one with God. Begotten, but not made. Jesus is not less than God. So that when we see Jesus laying there in a borrowed manger with puffing beasts and buzzing flies all around the savior of the world, we have to remember that is God laying in that manger. When you envision Jesus sitting on Joseph's lap, that is God sitting there. When you see Jesus wrapped in swaddling claws, that is God. That is God. That's what we're confessing and marveling at and savoring yet again this year at Christmas. He's come to bring peace. And wow, in the most humble and subversive way. But it's not out of God's character or nature or even routine to do things in the most upside down and most subversive way. Right? I mean, Theologians will sometimes talk about God's character and his actions as a, as a theology of reversal, a theology of reversal, a way of taking things and turning them upside down. So for example, in Deuteronomy 7, God is speaking through Moses and he says, I didn't choose you, Israel, not because you were great or strong or mighty or all the rest, I chose you because you were the Smallest. That's a theology of reversal. Shouldn't have God chosen the strong and the mighty? But he chose the weak. When you think uh, in Genesis 27, Jacob and Esau, the older will serve the younger. That's a theology of reversal. When you think about um, Moses, an ex-murderer on the run out in the desert, Murderers don't liberate people, do they? Well, in God's economy, when he gets involved, yeah, yeah, it ends up being that. That's a theology of reversal. David, he was the youngest, the weakest. He was bringing nothing to the table. And who was anointed? David, to become king of Israel. That's a theology of reversal. When Jesus taught about giving, he said that there was a person who gave a million dollars. And then there's this one woman, all she had was two pennies, and she gave two pennies. And then he asked, who gave more? It ends up being the woman that gave two pennies. That's the person. That's, that's a theology of reversal. You've heard it said, you know, when someone slaps you, hit them back. But I say to you, turn the other cheek. You've heard it said, take up the sword. But I say, pray for those who persecute you. This, this is a theology of reversal, you see. And think First Corinthians chapter one, where where, uh, Paul is writing and he says, not many of you were wise or noble or strong, right? But, But God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's a, again, that's a theology of reversal. So of course, when we get to when we open Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel and we see the birth of Jesus, of course he's being born to two peasant teenagers, born through the Virgin Mary. Of course he's being born in a borrowed stable. Of course he's doing it completely upside down. What a humble God. And he's come to bring you peace. When Jesus came to this world, he broke into this world and it began, he began something unbelievable. And he's still doing something unbelievable in bringing peace into this world through his spirit and through his church. It's here in part, but not in full, because at this first advent, we're looking forward to his second advent. And in the second advent, when Jesus comes again, he is going to restore all things and make all things new. last thing I want to tell you about is peace internally, then amongst your relationships, and then certainly with God. Okay, first, let me tell you about this internal peace that is available to you now as a follower of Jesus. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, Verse six, be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that from a prison cell to persecuted and distressed people. And he's saying, I'm laying my anxieties down at the feet of Jesus, the things that have me down in this darkness right now. I'm submitting those to Jesus, but I'm not just laying them down in a generic fashion. No, I'm doing it by prayer and supplication, and I'm going to give God thanks. And as I do these things, the peace of God that transcends, that surpasses my understanding is made available to me by the gift of the Holy Spirit. He is guarding your heart the same way I'm being guarded in this prison cell. God is going to guard your heart with peace. Church, if you're struggling with that in this dark year as I have, remember, remind yourself, practice again, the sacred discipline of sitting still and yielding that which has you distraught to God. And ask again, Jesus, Prince of Peace, Would you give me your peace again today? But not only is our peace something that we experience with God internally, it's also something that we practice externally, horizontally as peacemakers in the world. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter two. We covered this verse back in the summer, uh, but it's important to see once again, the fruit of the gospel is not something merely that we practice internally, but it works its way out externally day by day listen to this Ephesians 2 verse 13 but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility this is the this is where we're going to find real Peace is in the flesh and blood of Jesus. As Jesus gave his life, he brought us into the family of God. We Gentiles who were once far off, he brought us in not by our good works, as he says earlier in Ephesians two, but it is by grace and through faith we've been saved. He has now brought us in and in bringing us in and as we recognize the mercy and grace and the kindness of God, in reconciling us to himself, we then are empowered and equipped with that vision of God to then demolish walls that stand between ourselves and others to be the peacemakers. The peace of God is not merely internal, but it is also something external. The last thing I wanna remind you of is this, is that you have peace with God. As, as, As Paul writes over in Colossians, listen to this. Colossians chapter 1 says this, speaking about Jesus Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's who's laying in the manger, the fullness of God pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So do you see that in these scenarios that we cannot have peace on our own through white knuckling it and grinding it out, but rather we receive peace. We are the recipients of God's peace through the blood of Jesus. You see, as we behold Jesus at Advent, we are reminded that He, God did not merely send Jesus to come down as an example and show us a few ways in how to live, but Jesus also died as our substitute. And as he died as our substitute, our sins were cast away and we were brought into the family of God. And so it's with that in mind today that we request from God God, fill us again with your peace. Make us peacemakers in this world. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to RedemptionSeattle.com.